story, etc. There's a lot that will happen over the next year that globally we're all going to be involved in. There's so much talk about this being the new normal. But there's nothing normal about this, is there? We've all had to get used to so much, had to adjust to new kinds of communication, new ways of working, of keeping ourselves and others safe, and in such a short time frame. But even when this is over, we may well keep a lot of the things we're learning. We've found ways of navigating problems that existed before, but which, when they affected everyone, we were able to find solutions for. We might maintain a better sense of community with the people we can't see as much as we'd like to, or for whom leaving the house is always difficult, pandemic or no pandemic. We might continue to cultivate the networks we're developing, seeking to reach out rather than simply reverting to the way things were. In this episode, I chatted to the brilliant comedian and actor Isabel Farah. She's a regular on the stand-up circuit and was mid-run of her beautiful show, Ellipsis, when lockdown kicked in. Uh, my name is Isabel Farah. Um, I am an actor and a comedian and a writer. And I've um, got serious imposter syndrome about all three of those at different points in my life. So, But yeah, that, that is sort of what I do now. Um, and I have had a side hustle of full-time office work for quite a while which I've just left at the worst possible time so um but yeah so I, I do a lot of things I quite like variety that's nice um and we're in the middle of a pandemic so yeah chaos reigns that is correct <laughs> I had a chat with my friend last night actually um about she's so she's a doctor and she's obs and gynae so she delivers babies all the time and I said to be honest like it, I have found this difficult like obviously and it's been very up and down but um, I've been, I've had like quite a big catastrophe thing for quite a while and like quite a lot of chaos in my head. And so I feel like at the moment I'm like, oh, you've joined me. <laughs> so it's not, it has been hard, but I feel like some people are like, oh my God, this is fucking awful. I'm like, yeah, it's really bad, but like we deal with it. <laughs> what, what are you having to stress about? Like, What's wrong? What's, what's the big so, deal? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, I was going to, my first question was going to be generally, how are you and how are you doing? Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> which we seem to have dipped into, which is excellent. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. I am like, I think I, I had a really good day yesterday. Um, and I think that's changed my outlook a little bit. I don't, the first couple of weeks, I was okay, but I also, I was very premenstrual. And my period came about four days late, which does happen when I'm stressed. And even though I don't like stress doesn't necessarily manifest itself like openly in like me, like running around like a headless chicken. It meant that I was premenstrual for like four days longer than I should have been. And then uh, so, yes, last week was just felt a bit dire. I'm feeling a lot more like, OK, I'm back on track now. And yeah, it doesn't like I've got some stuff to be getting on with. I'm slightly concerned about money, but not like... It's not imminent. It's more that I'm, I've never been in a position where I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from, um, which is, and I, you know, I've, I've got savings, but also like, I don't like this feeling. Definitely, um, and I had to coax myself out of a permanent job and be like, it's going to be okay. Like, you've never been unemployed before. Don't worry about it. Um, in January to suddenly being, and I was like, it's going to be absolutely fine. Like, and now I'm like, ah. 
but yeah, I have to have faith that this will end and we'll be allowed back in offices soon and people will need to have their diaries colour coordinated for them. So I'll go back to my mum. That will that is going to be the first the first thing that yeah. needs to happen. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Um so before this all was happening, um so talk us through kind of so yeah. actor, writer, comedian. Um what sort of um what were you what were you doing? I do know the answer to this. Yeah. What were you doing immediately <laughs> before this all happened? Um so immediately before lockdown, I had so I've been writing uh I've been working on a one woman show which sits between comedy theatre and storytelling and it's about the public and private faces of grief and it charts the year following my cousin's suicide. Um uh and of my life and it's so it, I initially when I wrote it, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like fully autobiographical or if I was gonna have take some liberty with like some of the facts but it has become a much more traditional one woman show than I intended it to at the beginning um uh Elle's been directing it which is why she she knows all about it um and it was so I had one night at Camden People's Theatre and then two at Vault which ended up being pulled because we weren't you know theatres and sweaty rooms are not safe places to be when we're passing out viruses um but yeah so that's what I've been working on um really it's probably the the probably the best project I've worked on in my life I've really enjoyed some of the shows that I've been in that other people have put on and playing characters and stuff but this is you know something that I've driven from start to finish and I think partly the the element of production of it as well and like having to do all the applications and you know get get it programmed somewhere which is a huge achievement probably more of an achievement than writing it down almost not in any way like judging, but either the creative process or the production side, but just that that I don't think it's I don't think it's my natural place. Writing a pitch to a, a, a theatre or a festival is a bit like I find it quite like Ugh. whereas actually writing the show, I'm like, OK, yeah, sure, I can do this. And like performing it, I'm like, yeah, great, cool. But writing and doing like a risk assessment I was like, this is so dry, please make someone else do this for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I managed all of it. So it quite feels like an achievement. Um, it is an achievement. And I, yeah. I think, I think having to sort of, um, explain the show and, and pitch it and stuff, like it does, I, well, hopefully, and it seems to have worked this way for you, like it, if having to convince other people of it, yeah. like comes with a huge degree of also convincing oneself of it and being like, oh yeah, this is a show that I can sum up like this and this yeah. is why and as you're pitching going this is why people would like it you go oh yeah that is why people would like yeah. it yeah and then you have to also convince yourself you're like oh people will like it uh, like that's another thing that people will um, like it yeah yeah so that's what uh and then also you know stand up and i'm writing uh an audio sitcom called nobu and Amitis, which is about king nebuchadnezzar of babylon um i was started looking last year at writing like a series of sketches about being being Middle Eastern, being British and Middle Eastern. And it was called Abu Sharmuta and the Oriental Experience or something. Abu Sharmuta means father of a whore. Um, but like someone once, 
<laughs> some Arab in the US once was recorded on like a news show and they were like, oh, what's your name? And he put, he put Abu Sharmuta, which is only funny to anyone that speaks Arabic. And when you looked at it, it was like, that's not your name. But clearly the news program were like, of course your name is Abu Sharmuta. Like, cool. Um, and so, <laughs> and there's always like this oriental, like orientalism in general and like basically spoofing a load of films that have been set in like like Lawrence of Arabia and Aladdin and like all of and also like Homeland and all of the recent stuff which is like centered on terrorism and basically spoofing that um and I started writing sketches and it just didn't quite feel right and then eventually I just it came to me I was like if I write something about a historical figure that existed and then use that as a as a story that um, and then I can spoof bits in there and like really like send up some stereotypes in that while also making it like just a quite a light humorous fun thing so that's what I'm sort of working on while we're in lockdown as well because I already had it on the boil so it doesn't feel like I'm trying to like come up with a new idea that might end up actually being shit just because I'm stuck at home so yeah um I, I like writing silly things and there's always a political edge and I think that's probably I think that's very much like who I am as well like there's I am really silly but then my, my flatmate said to me yesterday because I'm she asked me what something meant in Arabic and I said, oh, it's it's this. And she goes, God, I forget that there's a whole like science of language person behind like a really, really silly. And I was like, I do love, love Latin. Um, <laughs> oh, God, oh, science and rules. Great. Um, but I think there's like a definite like silliness in the work that I do. And I'll, but I'll never not stick in a little political reference or something or something that's quite just I quite like dropping in a really serious thing and then just picking it back up again as you know um I do know yeah yes that's very a very apt description I would say yeah yeah um in terms of so you've been working on um the sitcom yeah. in terms of your sort of I guess like who you are as a storyteller so actor actor writer comedian yeah. etc um producer um <laughs> what how else have you been kind of, um, how else has that been manifesting during this quarantine period? Like what have oh. you been doing? Like could be real stuff. It could be just silly stuff. Like what, what's it been like? What's it like living with Isabel? Um, I, I was on a, I was on a zoom call with like writers who it was with Payne's plow. And, um, I said it was someone very young who I think had, was only just graduating from drama school and she was like I don't know how to make this time productive and I, I did say and I think again this comes from this like chaos thing of like okay do you know what sometimes you can't be creative and sometimes that like you can't just be like okay I need to use this time to write 50,000 words on black and you don't need to do that and I think actually I've I've had to be a little, like, again, always be kind to yourself and just say, right, if I'm, if I'm consuming, if I'm consuming scripts, if I'm consuming media, then that in itself is not, is not going to be a bad thing. You know, watching, I hadn't watched Coco before, the Disney film, and I was like, oh, I'm like, I've got a Disney Plus subscription for a month because I was like, okay, it's six quid, it's tax deductible. (laughs) 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 No, but it's six quid, like, and also watching and like watching scripts and just and actively watching as well and I you know enjoy the film but like why do you enjoy it like how did I know very early on that the 
that I don't remember the character's name that um, the child's father was his father and it wasn't the like the real singer blah 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 you know all, all of those things what are those tropes like what why did you enjoy it and I've sort of like got, I suddenly thought to myself at the end of it I was like oh my god I do love Pixar films maybe I'll write to them but like it, there is why do I really enjoy a Pixar film more than say I don't know like whatever what what makes me really enjoy Shrek like what and I think as a creative knowing what you like and why you like it is a really good way of of then being able to sit down and go right okay if I like that other people like that and obviously like these films are hugely popular like what can I use of that in my next project or like or ever like in the future not in my next project but you know why do I love his dark materials you know I, I watched I watched the entire season again you know what, what about the book and what about that particular adaptation on screen you know all of those things and I think it's just being being creative isn't just your output I think it has to be part of your input as well like what's going into your head and also trying to broaden broaden what I why don't I want to watch I don't know whatever uh, clearly I haven't watched anything I don't want to watch but like you know what makes me not pick that film or that stand-up or that that thing to watch and maybe I should push that because I'll be surprised by what I have watched and broaden then my output as well. Is there anything you've noticed about like thinking about that idea of broadening and intake at the moment? Obviously everyone is relying so much on consuming media. Is there anything you've noticed about the sorts of things that you're being drawn to or the sorts of things that you would normally watch but you don't want to at the moment or listen to or Um, read? I'm really not listening to anything about coronavirus and my friend said oh there's a really great like there's there on Apple podcasts there is a whole section that's like coronavirus and they're like would you like to listen I'm like no absolutely no I fucking don't um I uh, I've been listening so I, I quite like NPR podcasts and I've try, I do try to listen to like some British stuff as well because I don't I like I don't want to just end up with a very skewed like I don't want all my listening history to just be about like journalism from the US but I've found a podcast an NPR podcast called Code Switch which is about race and about like well specifically in America but it's stories and it's I mean it is inherently political but it's inherently human as well and it looks at like the, the one I listened to the other day was about protests in the 60s in this during the civil rights movement in Brooklyn and teachers crossing the picket line in predominantly black schools in a Jewish area and it just like looking at that like racial lines and divides and stuff and like I guess it's something that can't be like the world isn't going to change this week or next week but it is a broader look at systemic issues which I think I do think that we're possibly at a turning point that you know Spain's about to introduce a universal basic income we have to look at this pandemic globally because we can't like borders can't shut basically um you know the spread of coronavirus I clearly have listened to some stuff the spread of coronavirus is now <laughs> it gets is, in there yeah has now is now spreading across the entire continent of Africa and that like without they do most African countries do not have health systems that are in any way designed to cope with this and it's not like the pandemic will stop when we come out of lockdown it will spread globally and it there will need to be a global shift and it I think we all thought it would happen with global warming and with 
with rising sea levels and that there will be a huge, huge number of migrants as a result of rising sea levels. But actually, I think it will come much quicker and I think it will happen this year. And we will need to look at, take a much broader, much more close look, actually not broader, but at society and like how we, how we as a country interact globally. I don't know, maybe I, I feel like I'm unqualified to say that, but there's a lot that will happen over the next year that globally that we're all going to be involved in. Um, yeah. And, you know, 7 billion people is suddenly going to have to look much closely at how we interact as a community. And that's that will take a huge shift psychologically for a lot of us. You know, even even as a you know North London liberal lefty, like I'm very, very pro-immigration, very like, but, you know, we will be looking at like how our taxes fund different things. And it, I think we will... As a as a economically affluent person in this world, you know we have to look at like will we like food supplies, all of those things, um, you know, and how we consume and how that affects everyone globally, um, which is sort of I, I think it's it's terrifying, but also good, like it's a, it's only a good thing in the long run, like um, you know that global shift needed to happen, and we will. You know, medical supplies, Jesus Christ, like those, you know, those masks, the N95 masks that people have to wear as part of their PPE, they're manufactured in, I think, a state in the US and the government of Canada had an order put, had an order put in and Trump just blocked it. And like, fine, they needed those masks in the US as well. But like, our medical supply, like the the commodification of medical supplies and the like market marketization of all of those things just has to stop in my opinion mm. and i think we've all been saying that a little bit with big pharma but it's definitely not been one of my key key issues in my yeah. head and it but it will become so like definitely yeah i think a lot of stuff is going to be complicated but then maybe subsequently clarified yeah. in terms of what i suppose clarified in terms of what things need to change as a matter of urgency but also the kind yeah. of the it has and is highlighting the kinds of big changes that can happen very very quickly i mean like homelessness in london being a, a yeah. like a good example being like oh we can we can solve this <laughs> in a weekend incredible, like. if we ca- if we want to <laughs> um you know the idea of like you know, the fact that universal basic income was being discussed quite seriously yeah. here as well. Like it, it, it does kind of draw attention that if it does take someone, some people to act and, yeah. and just say like these changes need to happen and then sometimes they can. So it's, yeah. that is hopeful. And I like think. the wealth, like Jeff Bezos from Amazon gave like, what is a hundred million dollars, which was 0.1% of his wealth. Yeah. But then Jack Dorsey from Twitter yesterday pledged, I don't remember how much it was, but it was 28% of his wealth, which is still like, it was in the billions, like, but to stop this pandemic. And you suddenly look at that amount of wealth and you're like, I mean, there has to be good, the good socialist is coming out. There has to be something that like, what on earth is happening when people have this much money? Yeah. Like, yeah. 
you know, like we can all feel bad about like, well, I've definitely felt like some like guilt of like earning proper money for a couple of years and working for an American company that definitely is a capitalist institution. But actually, like I'm, I'm not part of the problem, but like that billions and billions of dollars that could be used to solve this and is just sitting on other people's bank accounts. And where, where, yeah, they, I think the idea of like it trickling down is yeah. then like and the billionaires are going to somehow save us when we really need them to. It's like, mm, or not. <laughs> and also, I'm sorry, why hasn't that been taxed? It's not something that's new. It's just that it's suddenly thrown into the spotlight. I've been listening to a, a podcast it's called the Lebanese Politics Podcast, and it's sort of like tried to keep abreast a little bit of what's going on there. And basically, a lot of people who have earned a lot of money from being being part of like wealthy elite in a tiny country who've suddenly gone oh I'll donate this much money to this hospital there's no healthcare system there it's you know really a very very different world and you are like well hold on like what <laughs> have you just been sitting on that pile of money while the economy of this country has been like going to shit for 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 years but you've clearly been making that money off from someone somewhere and now you're like oh now I'll be really like benevolent like benefactor for this hospital and they're like hold on no 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 let's let's look at where you got that money from please god keep it light it's about uh, keep it light <laughs> no no it's all right there's a pandemic it can be heavy as well <laughs> it's fine do you think this is obviously it's a very tough thing to ask people like what they would advise other people when we're all in this we're weird situation. We're all in this together. Someone... That's from High School Musical. There we go. I kept it light. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. Well, we know. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> um, what would you, I guess, as someone who is, it, it sounds obviously everyone is up and down and that kind of stuff. And But it does sound like you are taking a pretty, like a pretty, kind and sensible approach to you know working on something you've already got um but as you say it's also fine to to watch stuff try and do it actively and stuff like that is there anything else that you would i mean if we can call it the creative industry i mean that's that's a very big thing to say but i'll say it anyway i'm gonna say it um i mean so many people whose means of making things has just shrunk away in some cases is there anything that you have found have found works for you or have seen working for other people or good advice that you've heard that you could pass on or like, I don't um, know. I mean, I've seen a lot of good wise yeah. things on Twitter. <laughs> not very um, wise people though, along with some I, not wise people. No, I, to be honest, I like, if you're on the back, I just, the biggest thing I want to say is like, if it feels like you're on the back seat at the moment and you don't want to drive anything, there's no, there's no point in pushing out a project that's, that you haven't got your heart in actually yeah and i there's a lot of sort of like reactions to the coronavirus pandemic like live streaming theater stuff and i'm like do you know what if you don't want to create something new right now don't <laughs> like i'm not mm. i wouldn't wish to diminish any of that but i have absolutely i have zero wish to write something about corona right now and i don't think people are going to want to watch it after and actually, I don't want to watch anything. I'm about to say my most judgy thing ever. I don't want to watch or consume something that's been hastily put together in a week that's not been. And I say this as someone who definitely needs my work edited to stop waffling as I have today. But, <laughs> but I don't want to watch something that's been hastily put together in a week. I can see there's a there's a huge place for rapid response, but 
I know that there's a lot of chaos in my head at the moment that's caused by this pandemic. And I wouldn't, I don't think that anything I created about it right now would be of the quality that I'd want to put out in the world. And I know my head takes some reflection and takes some allowing the dust to settle before I can create something that's of the quality that I'd want to put out. Like with Ellipsis, my show about grief, it took me 18 months after my cousin's death to start thinking about how I'd put it into a show. And I do remember thinking like, I'm I'm definitely going to put this in. This is definitely going to have to go in. Like I have to almost like, like that was the cork that needed to clear the bottleneck of like creativity. And I, but I knew I was going to do it. And I kept writing little bits and pieces down of like how I felt at certain points, which is probably why I've ended up with quite a chronological show. But I wouldn't, but I'll probably write about this pandemic in five mm-hmm. years time. And I have absolutely zero wish to to do it any time before then. I, I think that's when I'll create my best one. Well, five years, that's an arbitrary number, but yeah. don't feel like you need... And After the war, we, I'm sure we've all heard about this. We've all heard about Shakespeare writing about King Lear and like in the middle of a... Blah, blah. But after the war, people didn't want to watch stuff about war. They wanted to watch bright, colourful musicals and that's why we've got <laughs> a load of those in the 50s. And so write something bright and colourful. Write the thing that... You, make the thing that is totally silly i've probably been more silly in the last week than i've been in my life that is a bold claim but um, don't <laughs> see, oh, I, there's such a panic panic to be creative now i feel like there's definitely like this okay use this time and i i just don't i don't hold with it like make make some nice food make some nice food or eat pasta and pesto if that's what's just literally nurture your soul in the in whichever way you feel is the best way to nurture it um, and I'm a big advocate for chocolate buttons, pasta and pesto and Disney at this point. And I, I, I mean that I keep coming back to that in my head. Like we can all so much pressure on ourselves. And I think particularly at this time, it's hard not to because there's so much on Twitter being like, oh, my God, create. Look, let's all band, band together. If you need some alone time with some chocolate buttons, take that time. Um, I think that's really important. You know, everyone's on Zoom calls all the time now. And I sometimes I'm like, I just want to, I want to be alone in my bedroom. That sounds like it's filthy. It's not. I just want to scroll through my phone. <laughs> I, n- yeah, I'm not judging anyone that's managing to be like, I have been proactive in other ways. But like, but also it, this is a really weird time. Like, yeah, be be creative, but in your on your own terms. Yeah. Did I answer the question? I don't know. You did. I thought that's a very good answer. Um, finally, where can we find you? Oh. <laughs> Apart from well, in your house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my house, on my terrace. Um, I am all over the internet as Irresponsible. Um, Twitter and Instagram. There's a Facebook page as well, but I don't update that as often as the others. Um I've started something, I've said all of this and I'm going to roll back and say I've started something called Kitchen Table Reads, which is readings over Zoom of stuff that's on the boil. Um, So I've been working on Nobu and Amitis. Last night we did two scripts by two other writers, which was amazing. That's every Tuesday at the moment until we're out of lockdown. So it might not even be next Tuesday. I think it will be next Tuesday. (laughs) Um, I will be doing stand-up again once we're out of lockdown. Um, you can find all of that information at Irresponsible on Twitter and Insta. Um, uh, yeah, 
always up for collaborating, always up to like say hi to people. So, you know, message me wherever. Um, I do a character called Sue. She's, she teaches PAs how to be a PA. Um, she's, she's very, she's much more sensible than I am. She's really very militant about what color, color the calendar needs to be coordinated to. Um, yeah. And, um, I might, I might do some other very, very silly comedy stuff at some point in the next couple of weeks. Who knows? But yeah, at Irresponsible, all over the internet. Thank you so much to Isabel. You can find her on Twitter at Irresponsible. And when we're allowed out again, I strongly recommend you go and see her perform. And if you are a storyteller of any kind and would like to be featured on the podcast, get in touch. Again, there are no rules, no set criteria. We can talk about your work if you're managing to get any done, but we can talk about pretty much anything else. We would love to hear from you. Story Etc. was produced and presented by Eleanor Rushton. The supervising editor was Pato Rushton Morales at Black Horse Studios, and the music was composed by Odin Ornhill Marson. My guest was Isabel Farah. Story Etc. is an audio scribble production. Thanks for listening. <laughs>